Don't you want to die happy With a smile on your face Waking up laughing Cause you're free of all the things That would hold you From your ocean view Life is a landscape Why don't you paint it your way Good morning, Sean. Okay, so for our listeners and our viewers, today Martin and I are going to be talking to Sean Kay. He's a shamanic guide, teacher, breath worker, and mentor. Hi, Sean. Hello, Jules. Hello, Martin. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Fantastic. You are more than welcome. Mm, thank you for being here with us. And uh, we just want to just let the listeners know that today we are actually in Cella, which is kind of our favorite ever breakfast spot. Uh, it's a little bit noisy this morning, so bear with us, some sounds of barley. Yeah, well it's not just sounds of barley. As it transpires, there are two building sites, so I'm really optimistic that this isn't going to sound too bad for the listeners. Mm-hmm. I hope people can tolerate this. I'll do what I can in post-production. But we also wanted to quickly apologize because we haven't done a podcast, I know, for ages, but we're back doing one today. We're going to be doing one next week, so we are back on it, so don't worry, there's lots of podcasts coming. So, Sean. Yes. Just quickly, we would love it if you could just give us a little introduction to who you are, mm. what you do. My name is Sean. <laughs> Changed saying that a while ago. Say, I am Sean, but ultimately my name is Sean. I like what you did there. Yeah. Um, yeah, like many, I've had a very interesting life up to the beautiful age of 33. And... The more I reflect on who I am, I realize I'm a reflection and a mirror for others. Even as far as human design, where my profile or my type is reflector, which is a rare 1% of the entire population, according to that methodology. But yeah, as we said, um, shamanic guide, teacher, breathwork and mentor. But what I know to be true is that by shining my light and choosing to be a teacher and share and storytell and the reason I use the word shamanic guide is because it's actually guiding people to the shamanic teachings, to shamanic medicine, to the shamans. It's not saying necessarily that I am a shaman, um, although that definitely resonates with me. Um, I basically, in a sentence, like connecting people to their potential. So doing that as a reflection, doing that as being myself, having conversations, leading retreats, whatever it is, there's so much that I do, but I know ultimately I'm just a mirror. And if I'm feeling good and positive, you're generally feeling good and positive. If I'm in a bad mood, people around me are probably going to be in a bad mood and not like my energy. So I'm a mirror. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, it's quite a powerful place to be. It's a lot and I don't say that lightly, like it's challenging, it's hard, it's lonely mm-hmm. at times. That's something that's been present for me recently. I get to impact so many people, have beautiful conversations, be involved in the community, but it's a lonely place to be sometimes where 
I know what I know and I see what I see and I feel everything like I, I really do. It's, it's not something I say with a elevated ego, like I can feel and sense a lot. And it puts me in a really beautiful place, but it also has its fair share of burdens, which is, you know, if, I, if I'm choosing not to live in integrity and authority and taking care of my health and making sure my mind state is positive, I know that I'm going to be affecting other people, my community, my team, my family. And so being a mirror comes with, you know, its blessings, but it also comes with its fair share of burdens. And I'm deeply grateful for the path that I'm on. But there are moments like yesterday's full moon where I'm depleted and, you know, vulnerable and raw and I just want to be hugged and held and there's no one there to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a blessing, but it's also a burden to be I, that mirror. I feel like leaning over the table and giving you a hug. Uh, energetically, yeah, <laughs> you, I feel you. I'm giving you one. Thank you. Do you want to give us an idea of how you, obviously without giving us the full 33-year story, but... What got you on this particular path as a, as a healer? Beautiful question. Thank you for asking. Uh, I actually had another brother in our men's circle here in Uluwatu ask me the same question two nights ago. And I believe that life is a series of initiations. And we go through these initiations regardless of anything really they're going to happen um so for me i look back on the 33 years and i can see so many points of my life that i could be a victim i could be blaming i could be saying that it was this person or that person or why did this happen to me but i actually have such clarity now that these particular things were initiations into my path into the work that i'm doing and so one of those big moments, which is very common for a lot of people is 27. So they have this 27 club. It's like Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, Kurt Cobain, mm, Amy Winehouse, um, Saturn returning astrologically, they call it. But it was the day after my 27th birthday um, through a series of events, a breakup, job, job insecurity, financial insecurity that I, I love the sharpening of the knives in the background. In the background. <laughs> sharpening my knife, because that's what initiations are, is sharpening you to be the best version of yourself. And so at 27, I ended up crawled up in a ball in the fetal position at my parents' place, asking my parents for support, for help, because I was struggling with mental illness. Um, the Western world, the Western culture, you know, labeled me as generalized anxiety disorder um, with depression take the medication, see the psychologist, that's going to be your reality. Um, you know, going as far as people saying it runs in the family, this is genetic, this is hereditary, it's just your reality, Sean, you're just going to have to take the medication and that's how you're going to live the rest of your life. So that was a huge initiation and, and at that time, my mind was saying, I need help, I need this medication. My soul was saying, this is not your path, this is not your reality, this is not your destiny to be giving your power away to this story of the black dog depression. So 27 gave me this big initiation to really have a look at why I'd got into that position. And I was fortunate that since I was 15 years old, I'd been obsessed with like Abraham Hicks, Law of Attraction, Bob Proctor, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, like all these 
mindset gurus. So I had the tools at 27 to delve into what was happening. And 27 was really what I see as like a big rebirth into becoming a man, um, which we're going to get into mm-hmm. boyhood to manhood. But for me, 27 was that initiation that my culture, my upbringing, my society, my worldview hadn't prepared me for that transition into manhood. So the little boy came out. The little boy felt abandoned by my partner that left me. He felt rejected by his job. He felt insecure, unstable, unsafe. And so that was the catalyst for the beginning of my healing journey. Now, it's crazy to think that it's only been six years since that happened. I've just turned 33. And through the last few years, COVID was like a huge collective initiation for everybody. Everybody had to face their shit per se. The shadow came up, the darkness came up, all those unhealed parts came up. Same for me. I went into another big period in 2019 of healing, of, of shadow, of darkness, of repair, of rebuilding. 2020 when COVID hit, my whole dream and vision was shattered because I couldn't travel, which was a big part of it. So then revisited again, more growth, more expansion, more healing. And then, you know, the healing's never done. 2022, I was on top of the mountain. I was like living my dream, beautiful relationship. Everything was like exactly as I'd wanted it to be. And then the great universal rug pull again, breakup, heartbreak, abandonment, all that stuff came up. And I've just been on a six to nine month journey through the Andes of Peru, to working in America with the men's group that I'm a part of. And again, I've just done an incredible amount of healing, but it's just been initiation after initiation after initiation. And that is the meaning of life, if you ask me. It's a series of initiations. And sadly, slash, you know, unfortunately, people don't have the tools. And so when it does get intense, like the 27 Club, they choose to take their life or or cause harm because they don't have the tools to navigate it. But that's why I'm so passionate about the shamanic work because it simplifies all of this. Um, The plant medicine has been a big healing part of my journey, especially coming off the medication, which we can get to. Um, But it's, it's the eight pillars that I mentioned to Jules off camera that I'm sure we'll get to. But these eight areas are what I believe can lead us to self-healing and you know liberation there's a lot to unpack there and yes. yes i want to talk we want to talk about all of those things it just occurred to me though some of our listeners get in touch with me quite frequently to say love what you're doing love these stories that you're sharing but i can't get past that first base so i really want to do this work but i'm still plugged into the matrix, stuck in, in a rut. Uh, I am depressed and I don't know how to, how to overcome that. And something you said at the beginning of that story, which I, I think I'd like to just unpick, was relating to uh, your observation that the little boy or that the broken boy came out. How did you observe it? What made you aware of yourself and your, your stuff? Realistically speaking, it's because probably at this point right now in my life, I now have the awareness and the tools hindsight hindsight to see what was playing out back then. Um, 
And you know, we have these two threads, one going to the future, one going to the past. Now in the present, I can see if I repeat those patterns, this is probably gonna happen over here in the future. But when I look at, it was really my emotional response at 27. It was the overwhelming, um, almost unconscious takeover of my psyche and my being where this blubbering mess just exploded out of me and I couldn't stop crying. It was like years of suppression or being told as a boy, um, you know, not by my parents necessarily. They were amazing and I've got some really beautiful acceptance around how they raised me. But just throughout life, you know, particularly in Australia, boys don't cry, stop that, cut that out, enough mm. of that. Don't you dare keep crying. Don't you dare be ungrateful. All of that was like bottled down inside me at 27. Yeah. To say for even 18 to 27, like you still, if you were upset, you didn't tell your mates about it. If you were sad, you didn't go to a friend and say, I'm really struggling. You least of all went to your mum and dad and said, mum and dad, my life's a fucking mess and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Because there was so much shame and guilt around that. And it's not because our parents didn't want us to come and talk to them. It was just they didn't know how to do it either. And so the little boy I saw come up because he came up again in 2022 when I went through the same sort of period as 2017. Interestingly, Saturn returning beginning around 27 and finishing around 35. So it's like a repeated pattern of like oh there's more there to look at and you know having my heart broken by my best friend last year was actually one of the greatest gifts you know that I have ever been given because it sent me out onto this healing journey again but the little boy was just really that primal animal response of bursting out crying uncontrollably and wanting like help me help me help me help me like I want you to help me really looking for the mother energy and that's where a rite of passage comes in within the men's work that we will allude to, no doubt, is because I didn't have a rite of passage as a boy, there was still a lot of these little boy behaviors and tendencies in me that was looking externally for somebody to come and save me. It was like, mummy, come and save me. Because I was 27, I was still attached to mum. I was still attached to the mother energy. And a lot of men will then go into a relationship looking for the mother energy from their partner so that's how i saw the little boy i saw him as needy insecure couldn't look after himself you know wanted help and needed help and wanted other people to do things for him but i was 27 years old mm. but that's not unusual is it not at all no. let's, let's face so it I, I think what's unusual is the awareness observation and acceptance of it um you mentioned uh you used the phrase boys don't cry earlier on, which is curiously coincidental because I've got a friend in the advertising industry in Melbourne and he recently shared uh, a commercial made by a mental health foundation in Australia with a, a, a circle of men sitting in a, like a town hall. I don't know if you've seen this TV commercial. And one, they're all sitting there mis miserable, depressed, sort of looking down. And one starts to sing the first verse of Boys Don't Cry by... Cure, it's the cure, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then by the end of this amazing, rousing ad, I mean, I, advertising, I'm from the advertising industry, so I've, I've got a, a healthy disdain for it, but it's rare that remembering something like this brings uh, goosebumps to my arms. But 
It's a beautiful lad, and I wish I could credit the people who created it. But one by one, the entire circle starts to join him in chorus, and by the t- by the end, they're all singing "Boys Don't Cry," and they're all smiling and they're all dancing. And I do you think that's um, how much of that? And we're going to talk about this phrase "toxic masculinity" in a moment. But how much of that um, that bizarre social phenomenon? is specific to Australia. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard to gauge, obviously, only having spent a limited time in the UK, which you're obviously from, and let's say the US. Um, but I was, I'll come back to the question, but I was also very surprised traveling to South America again and being here in Bali, um, where you can just see how this Western style of raising boys has infiltrated these cultures as well and there's a lot of that we'll call it shadow or unconscious masculine energy Mm -hmm. um, in these countries as well but in Australia like what when you look at the the bigger perspective or the grander view like Australia has only existed for the last 200 to 300 years like Mm -hmm. it was founded in 1887 and it was founded by boats full of convicts that had been separated from family had been raised in hard, harsh, like, environments. Um, these mostly men, they came first, I believe, had nothing. So they were just survival of the fittest. You don't show any weakness. You don't batter an eyelid. You definitely don't cry. Um, and you just get on with it. That's a big saying in Australia, like, get on with it. Like, mm. chin up, shoulders back, get on with it. And so... Then, you know, we've also had all these other nationalities and it's very multicultural, all come together. And so within 200 years, it's been like, here's a culture. Trump smash. Yeah, here's a culture that's built on drinking, that's built on fighting, that's built on competition, sport, you know, it's huge. Um, Money. So we talk about the four Bs, you know, bills, money, um, balls, sports, uh, babes, women, especially for men. Uh, and the last B is, let me get this right, bills, babes, booze, balls. Yeah, balls. so the four, sport. But that's, that's for boys in Australia, you're constantly comparing yourself to other boys on who is bigger, better, faster, stronger, has more in those domains. Mm. You can just see how this like perpetual state of like, you know, some people call it toxic masculinity, it's only toxic if you let it stay there and, and exist and it becomes poisonous. But it's that boys don't have anything else to base their self-worth on. Well, it's, it's evolving. Um, so that's why it just manifests. It's literally just a cockfight. Like here in Bali, two roosters get in and fight each other to the death. That's pretty much Australian masculine culture. Mm. I, I mean, I, Is I it don't, similar I, in England for some... Well... I think so. I think so, yeah. I, I, I don't think... I certainly didn't mean to single Australia out, but it, but I, I love that observation you made about the history of the country, um, and of well, the course, other thing and the to, to remember learning. as well with Australia, which is huge, is the impact that this invasion of settlers had on the indigenous people, mm. and there's a lot of like they call it settlers' guilt, where there's now you know young young men like myself, like twenties, thirties, that are living there that do feel an immense amount of pain and shame and guilt for what was done to their brothers and sisters, the Aboriginal people. And you see it, like I'm tingling with goosebumps, which means it's important. 
um, you just see that the pain and the ancestral like disconnect with these people who mm. are the custodians of our planet, who are the wisdom keepers of our planet, and they're laying on the street drunk or overdosed on drugs because that's what the Australian government allows to happen. After this displacement. After this displacement. Mm. And so we've just got this culture that is very much healing and needs to heal. We're yeah. only just healing this sorry forgiveness with these Aboriginal people. And like, it's just, it's painful. Like the amount of ceremonies, workshops, events that I've been involved in, both as a facilitator and a participant, where this deep ancestral pain comes to the surface. Mm. Incredibly healing, incredibly beautiful, but it's just not in people's consciousness, mm -hmm. you know? They're living their life, they're going to work every day, and they don't even realize what this is built on. Yeah, but then the same could be said for all neuroses and, sure. and societal conditioning. So, so yeah, in answer to your question, it's, it's the same in the UK. I suspect it is the same, or at least I've got friends from America who are here who have told me similar stories. I, I think it's the same the world over, isn't it? And unless you are in a, a deeply feminine society, that's, mm. I, I would say Bali might be different because, because of this wonderful energy and the, the Balinese uh, boys, and I'll use the word boys, but I also um, hence um, hasten to stretch to, to young men. We've commented on this before. They, they love kids. Mm. And you'll be sitting in a restaurant or a cafe and you will see a family coming with, uh, obviously a foreign family coming with their kids and all of the young men working in this place. I've seen these guys do it. They all, their faces light up. They say, hey, little baby. And they take turns playing with the kid. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's so beautiful. Nobody minds. The management don't mind because that's, that's, it's just absolutely standard mm -hmm. that, these, that these young men will just instantly disarm. Well, I see that. And, you know, as you're explaining it, I see that play out with um, in Australia and these other countries. But here in Bali, you know, the in, more indigenous places where they're still connected to the history, the roots, the traditions, is that saying of, um, you know, you'll probably be able to rephrase it for me, where it takes a whole village to raise a child, yeah. is the African proverb that yeah. they, they yeah. use. And you really see that here. It's like, maybe that's why they're doing it, but mm -hmm. it's everybody takes care of everybody. Like yeah. a, a big thing for me at the moment that I've been sitting with is like the vision or the dream or the goal of when my parents age, of having them be with me and whether I'm in my big retreat center, which is the vision, but having them in their own little place on the property. And as they age, they age there and they stay there and they, they're still with us. Mm -hmm. Same with here in Bali, you go to a Balinese home or village and the 95 year old you know, mother is still there sweeping and cleaning yeah. up, the kids are playing, the other mother's there. It's like a unit, yeah. like the family unit. And that is probably one of the biggest things that is fragmented and fractured in these Western countries mm -hmm. is it's every man's for himself. Mm -hmm. It's like, you've got to go out and fight, work hard, build your own life. Like it's not up to your family to look after you. And for me, my deep, you know, soul frequency is like this family unit. Mm -hmm. where I'm like, how can my mum, my dad, my sister, our future families like all work together, all support each other. You know, if mum's retired and she, can do my bookkeeping a couple of days a week and I can get and look after her and then if they need anything I'll be there in a heartbeat but there's so much like so much sticky resistance which is all of the trauma between all of us mm -hmm. that just even voicing that is really scary for me 
Mm. To be like, mum and dad, like, here's my vision. They know because I've got it on the wall at home, but it's like, here's my vision. Here's what I deeply desire. It's to actually have you both there. I'm not going to put you into a nursing home unless you choose that's what you want. Um, but it's for them to understand that and conceptualize, like, it's not just all about you. Like, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing in Australia. It's yeah. separation, ego. But Well, absolutely. We're so lucky that we've been able to, not even just in Bali and other countries I've been to, we've been able to witness that and see mm. how communities live. And mm. I know you were there too when we went to the festival before Nyepi and watching the the village all take care of each other. So like the slightly older guys were looking after the even the little ones yeah. and it would kind of go up in age groups and just they did it with so much love and care. There was no there was no resentment, no no embarrassment. It was just Well it's it's interesting because I believe um it could be could be slightly incorrect, but I believe the Native American Indians and Australian Aborigines, like you can be a child and they will call you grandfather mm. because you are like however the generations work, I think like whether it's seven generations or whatever, but it's like as the child, you then become the grandfather and the grandfather becomes the child. Mm-hmm. And so he just has that, you know, I watch these shows, I think you have it in the UK where it's like a nursing home for four-year-olds. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, you I need to. Cannot I'll, I'll possibly watch anything like that. <laughs> but it's like a reality it's like, TV thing. No, but it's like it's a documentary, and it's all these elderly people that are in a nursing home. You know, grumpy old you know buggers that have got no life left in them. Yeah. And then once a week, they bring in these four-year-old kindergarten kids. Okay, mm-hmm. I could watch that. To engage with them, yeah. and they video it all, and it's just funny, like seeing mm. the inner child come out of these old men. And the life that it brings back to them. Yeah, mm. literally vivifies them Visifies there. Them. But yeah. that's why, like, even here, often the, the grandparents take care of yeah. the little ones. A, because it supports the family. But isn't it that they talk about how, because the babies have just come into this world and the elderly are about to leave. So they're together. They're both in the closest to the planes veil. together. It's they're like both close to the veil. from osmosis, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The baby's just picking up on that. Yeah, and and, and, it's, and these are the things that we do not experience in the main in the West. I totally agree. I suspect in rural areas it's less it's less like that. I mean, I've lived in I've lived in small towns. I've lived in big cities in the UK. I lived in London, uh, and I've also lived in in a tiny village. And actually, the sense of community in the village was was very much more notable. Mm. And and um, there were several families where. The grandparents lived down the street and then they you know so people were they had that that closer sense yeah. of well actually meal. where my parents live uh two doors down there's some of our neighbors they've got the most adorable two little boys and these boys the whole neighborhood takes care of mm. them they'll come and knock on my mum and dad's door and they'll come in because they want to chat and then we found out recently they were going up even further up the lane and they'd knock on the door and just stand there and then they get invited in and just because they wanted to chat to the grown-ups well, that was my childhood in small country town was, you know, I was rarely at the house. It was out on our push, out on our uh, bicycles, riding, building like jumps and creating things, being at friends' places. Like mum could sometimes have no idea, you know, where I was the whole day. Mm. And I'd be the same. I'd stop at the petrol station and talk to the owners. I'd stop at the supermarket and talk to the owners. But now like I go back to that town and kids are sitting at home on their devices, like, the, the local park and the skate park that just used to be an abundance of us playing during the day. There's now no children. Mm. Like, you know, so it's sad, isn't it? Whether technology's stealing our consciousness or whatever it is. And our childhood. And our childhood. 
So it's just really taking our power back and, and you know, deciding how do we want to raise our children. Um, most parents are so busy they don't evaluate that. No, and that, so that just coming full circle to what you were talking about earlier on, we have a, a, a situation now where, where toxicity mm. is normalized. Mm. Um, where if you have a, an entire family who doesn't communicate very well, then they would rather not communicate and just let sleeping dogs lie. And then, of course, when they do try to communicate, there's usually a clash. Yeah. And if one of the fam- family members attempts to do what you've, you're talking about doing, and I'm speaking personally as well now, when you've done this work and then you, you go back to your family to, to, to say, da-da, <laughs> hey, turns out I'm not the person I thought I was and it turns out I've had some uh, interesting lessons. Would you, would you like to hear about them? My, even my father said he didn't understand what I was doing. He couldn't, he couldn't get his head around it. And when his friends were asking him, how was I doing in Bali? He would say, I don't really know what he's doing. I, can't, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> it's interesting you share that because I was just saying to Jules, I had some beautiful, vivid dreams last night about some uh, relatives that have passed, ancestors, my father's uh, grandmother. So my great-grandmother and my grandfather who passed away, I don't know, maybe 20, 20 years ago. Um, so I text dad this morning because I know how much they mean to him and how sentimental he is with his, with his ancestors. And I just said I had some beautiful dreams last night about um, Nana Molly and, and Pop Dan and he wrote back, mushrooms. Because <laughs> he knows that I, you know, work with medicine and mushrooms. And like, Have you been at it again, love? He's, he's got like an understanding of why and how it all it all works and he's definitely had them when he was a younger man yeah. in different contexts yeah but yeah just you know even sitting down and being like dad so i was in peru for a month drinking the cactus every second day you know he he would sit and listen and and you know interact but mm. whether or not you know they Got it. they can conceptualize why you would want to go and do that like yeah. I, I think it's the same yeah. my dad's always interested to hear the stories but i i i do wonder where he's at because he's, a, he's 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 quite an introvert man he's very insular and you know we we've always we as as everybody who knows my story knows my mum was an alcoholic so we had a a, a very traumatic um, homestead for many 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 years and um you know, he did his best but i he was obviously out and about on the road all the time so he was working he was a traveling salesman so we we didn't have this beautiful connection um father son connection uh, as we grew older especially i'm sure we did when we were children i'm sure we did I'm, i you know you have these when you remember a lot of negative stuff unfortunately that tends to, to cloud the positive experiences as well doesn't it and if my dad ever did listen to one of the podcasts dad i'm not saying we never had fun um but what i am saying is we had a dysfunctional family structure and yeah. um to, to try and get back on point with uh with why we got you on that leads with three boys. My older brother is eight years my senior. My younger brother is two years uh, junior to me. That, for, for our family, that, that led to three pretty fucked up young men. And we all, in our own way, made a significant mess. Mm. Um, my older brother and I, um, well, it's probably, it's, I, I was definitely the superstar when it came to the... Um, 
the 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 in inappropriate expression towards women. That is to say, searching for intimacy um, through the miracle of, of, of the feminine, and as a, and as a result of being a broken little boy, actually breaking a lot of hearts and minds along the way. I, but my older brother had his had his own traumas. He he, he married a uh, a woman who um, was very very unhealthy for him, uh, to say the least. So we we all ended up with this with these these problems, and we didn't we didn't have the tools. So. Assuming we've got some people listening to this who are affected by this kind of thing, this is why you and I sparked up the chat wherever we sparked up the chat in the first place, because you asked us if you could come on the podcast, and when we checked you out, it's like, yes, yes, we absolutely want to have this conversation, because we have a lot of women who listen to the show and watch the show who, uh, who are dealing with, with what is termed toxic masculinity, and, and I think they're, they're looking for answers. They're looking for, for ways to, to cope with this. Ultimately, I'm not sure what to tell them other than get out because mm. unless, unless these men are willing to step up and start owning and taking responsibility for their bullshit, and that is to say they're going to have to have that moment that you had and the moment that I had, that awareness that what we were doing wasn't actually serving us or anybody else. Um, but unless you're willing to do that, I don't see how you, how uh, how it's going to be healthy, but then you do have a solution for it, don't you? You have a workshop process. Before I, before we go into that really quickly, can we just unpack toxic masculinity? Because I think it's been one it's one of those phrases that's been thrown around mm. a lot recently. Yeah. And I I would say in many ways is it's a really dangerous phrase to be using, and it's actually damaging the masculine which we need. So I wondered if you could just like unpack that a little bit and what the what people are referring to when they say toxic masculinity and why it's actually not a very good route to be going down when we keep using it men aren't toxic which is the first the end the end drops the mic <laughs> yeah men aren't toxic you can say the same thing for a lot of women women are toxic you know but it's just putting the blame on somebody else for how you're feeling but ultimately, in terms of the men, there's a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, it's, on, it's almost in every man, shadow masculine, where the unconscious stories, patterns, traumas, you know, things that have occurred through life and created beliefs or created protection, survival mechanisms through the primal ancestral part of the brain, the animal brain that just wants to keep you safe. And so to avoid pain, anyone, men or women, will do whatever it takes to avoid pain until they become aware of the behaviors that are masking the pain. So for the men, I would just call it um, unintegrated you know, energy. So it's unintegrated parts of the self. You know? I know for me, there's unintegrated parts around money and finances and knowing that I am abundant, there is enough, I am worthy, I am valuable, but there's still something there that doesn't believe there is enough. So there's a part of me that's potentially back there in childhood where I didn't feel there was enough because my emotional body was saying, fear, danger, you're, you know, you're not safe because you don't have enough right now. And so it's going back and reclaiming those parts and reintegrating, this is why it happened. And it, for the men, 
and with the toxic masculinity term it's it's about awareness so that's why if you use the word toxic you know words are spells right we're creating something through that so if, if you're a woman or a man saying that toxic masculinity this and i've i've used it in the past i've said toxic masculinity this toxic masculinity that if you're using that term well then you're externalizing this idea that men are toxic so what's the universe going to show back to you toxic men you're not then giving these men the opportunity or the power to become the men that you want them to be but you know a, a change of phrase like i said of whether it's unintegrated um, could be shadow and with shadow with people don't have the awareness shadow is just where there's patterns and stories and beliefs that you're not aware of they're not in your conscious awareness you know example might be if you know martin was to invite me to a meeting and not tell me what the meeting was about shadow behavior could be that i start to feel threatened i thought i start to feel insecure I start to like, you know, overthink and anxiety, overanalyze why does Martin want to meet with me when he's potentially going to offer me a million dollars, hopefully that happens <laughs> soon. But the shadow that comes up is I'm in fear and anxiety about this meeting because I don't know what's actually happening. Whereas if you're not in the shadow, you're like, this could just be a wonderful opportunity. It could be a beautiful conversation, get to connect with somebody. And that really comes bringing it back to Jules's question with unintegrated toxic masculinity. So men that are behaving as little boys because they don't trust. It's when you don't trust yourself. So a lot of these men are suffering, usually in silence, because they don't trust that they can actually change. They don't trust that they can be the man that everyone's asking them to be. They don't trust that if they do that, life is going to support them. And so if you don't have that trust, you are going to project your stuff and try and control the feminine, abuse the feminine, talk down to your kids, you know, judge other people because ultimately you're not trusting yourself. So, yeah, I find it's challenging to answer like that question around toxic masculinity because all it's implying is that men are shit, basically. <laughs> and yeah. there's a lot of shit men out there. We see it in politics and leadership and whatever. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you just boil it down to they're little boys that are trying to get their needs met through controlling their external environment. Yeah. Nice. So if you're an integrated man, you know that you have everything inside. Everything you need is in here. It's not in your partner. It's not in a woman. It's actually not in your kids. It's not in your career. It's not in money. It's not anywhere but inside. And so it's being able to find that. And when you find that, you become integrated and you're no longer projecting out there to validate yourself. That's yeah, good. thank you. That was, that was a I very think it's important. Way. Yeah, it is. And we, we talk about it often, don't we? Because we, the reason why I, I wanted to use the expression on the podcast was because you know, we're in this, I seem to just be in a time and space now where, where people are very quick to put a label on things. Um, well, just look at the word toxic. It's got an X in it. So it's like you're putting it across through yeah. the masculine. Absolutely. Like, a lot of women do this. They man-hate. It's like all men are shit. You know, they have conversations about this guy, that guy, this guy's an asshole, this guy's that, this guy's this. Yeah. And it's like, but have you actually sat down with that man and had a loving conversation and said, hey, Martin, 
you know how you did that thing? That was really unkind, uncompassionate, whatever it was. It's something that I feel you should have a look at to become a better man. Mm. If you haven't had that conversation, stop talking shit about men and stop blaming men because mm. you've got stuff that you need to work on as well. Of course, but it all, always takes two to tango, doesn't yeah. it? Exactly. Everybody's co-responsible for their relationships and, and it's all well and good, one of us blaming everybody else. Or in my case, to a, to a, a certain extent, falling on the sword and accepting the responsibility for a lot of these failed relationships and um, dramatic encounters because same as you with hindsight I've gone back over it all and gone ah yeah okay so now I see that I was a wounded inner child um, or rather my wounded inner child was was coming out but that's also where that you know the roomy quote comes in of like the wound is where the light enters absolutely so it's mm. we will only grow through pain yeah man woman child doesn't matter animal you will only change through pain so as a man how painful does it have to get for you to shine a light on yourself look in the mirror and say i need to work on myself mm. so break up fall on the sword whatever it is the immense pain has come up because you haven't taken responsibility and then all of a sudden, like I said before, the universal rug pull, job loss, you lose your mother or your father, your partner breaks up with you, whatever, and then you're faced with the reality. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't. But, and I think it's important to, to just double down on, on your universal rug pull point, yes. which, you, which you made, uh, you alluded to earlier on. Newsflash. There is going to be a universal rug pull every X, Y, Z day minute, week, month, year, that's life on earth. And, the, and I, I, obviously I talk about this a lot. You and I have talked about impermanence and the, mm. the, the, the message that I'm constantly trying to uh, convey, even in my book, is, is to, to suggest that everything in this world is subject to the laws of impermanence. I said again, everything in this world is subject to the laws of impermanence. So why are we surprised when something changes? Mm. And, and this, is, this is the work, and this is obviously some of the work that you do, because if we can get to a stage where more people are equipped to be ready for change, mm. then we're evolving. You know? And there's a, there's a quote that I've utilized many times on this podcast, which is um, attributed to the Buddha, although uh, uh, some scholars say not. Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm. That is to say, you're going to have this stuff. Events are going to occur. How are you going to respond? That is the, that's the life affirming, that's the life evolving um, piece of work. And to bring it back to, to what you actually asked a few moments ago, which is how do we do this? Like what do I offer and what do a lot of other people offer? What I offer is a framework of tools that you can use to be the hero of your story or the heroine. I get sometimes get some flack saying the hero of the story because it's hero or heroine. But is it uh, more men's work that you're doing at the moment? Is that well? I work with both, but mm -hmm. at the moment it's it's predominantly men's work. But you know, most of the retreats I run are mixed. Do you prefer heroin, Jules? I not opium. I, 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 <laughs> if I'm really honest, it doesn't bother me. No, it doesn't bother because I, I, I use hero as a generic. Yeah go to but, but yeah, yeah i mean heroin anyway, sounds quite nice framework are 
core evolutionary drivers. So these are things that are free and readily available to every human being on the planet, independent of income, independent of location, you can access this technology, which is what it is. This is the real technology that I feel like we need to come back to. Um, you know, all of this technology that we're swimming in, mm -hmm. literally, like <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. For, for this is podcast. fantastic. But these drivers and this framework is what I'm working with and using myself, helped me heal from 27 to where I am now. Mm -hmm. And it's helped, like I've literally worked with tens of thousands of people the last few years, including thousands of school kids doing breath work and things like that. So number one is breath work, mm. accessing the power of your breath for healing and transformation. So breath work, and you know, with breath work, it's not just um, Wim Hof. Everybody knows a bit of Wim Hof. It's conscious connected breathing. It's pranayama. It's, it's learning how to use your breath to ultimately regulate your nervous system. Because a lot of this shadow, toxic, unintegrated behavior will come up when your nervous system is dysregulated. So if you can regulate your nervous system, you already have a little bit of power back. So breathwork, shamanism, embodiment, movement piece, substances, music and sound, dance, okay, is another one. So as you've seen on my Instagram, I love having a bit of a dance and a boogie. I love ecstatic dance. Um, these ancient cultures, these ancient technologies, all dance. They're all connected to dancing. We rarely have a structured or any type of like dancing ritual in Australia. You know, even, even as going as far as saying like, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, like our parents were regularly at dances where it was, you know, the waltz and the cha-cha and like whatever. Now it's just you go to the nightclub, you get messed up and you dance until 3 a.m. Yeah. high as a card yeah, yeah. doing this. All yeah. right? mm. So dance is a really, really important one. And then the last one, which should be the first one, okay, but we'll say it's the last one, is mindset. So if you don't have a program for your mind, you're being programmed. I love that, that phrase. So it's if you don't have a practice of meditation or journaling or, you know, just learning to have a conversation with yourself because that voice inside your head is the most important voice to listen to. If you don't have a practice for your mind, you're giving your power away to, to the world. So those eight things are really what I build everything around, whether it's a retreat, a workshop, you know, a coaching session online, those things are all a part of it. And they are what will help a boy transition to a man, a woman, uh, sorry, a girl transition to a woman, a man connect with a woman, a woman connect with a man. Like they are ultimately teaching connection. And connection with self. Yes. First and foremost. Exactly. I um, I love the fact that you start with breath work. I, I don't know if we ever talked about that. Oh, we did. We talked about on this sh on this show, I think. We had um, a, a, quite a, a well-known Qigong master and, and meditation instructor called Lee Holden, who's uh, a friend to the show, really, and a friend, friend to us. And Lee did a docu-series called uh, Searching for Superhumans with a... Um, anthropologist called David Vedesi mm -hmm. so so the the whole point of this show was because David's been traveling around the world for 30 years immersing himself in in indigenous cultures um, he's a an energy worker and a, and a martial arts master himself and he has through all of these experiences from uh, Aboriginals to Indonesian energy workers to North American shaman to South American shaman the world over and of course all the yogis in the middle 
um, experience all of these practices with the yogis and the masters and so on and so forth. And through all of that work, discovered that the centric common practice amongst all of these people, pan-global, and of course from different eras. These, these didn't all suddenly pop up at the same time. And arguably are all thousands of years old. The center, central practice was breath. Mm-hmm. Always breath work. Always breath. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I'm happy that you pointed out that Wim Hof is not the be-all and end-all of, of breath work. Wim Hof is an amazing character, obviously, and, and what he's done for breath work is, is brilliant. But, um, but that's not the, the be-all and end-all of breath work. Oh. And well, as you said, it. pranayama, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the word. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's pranayama? Well, what's pranayama? Yeah. yeah. What, you tell, tell the audience what pranayama, pranayama is. Pranayama is, 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 is the... Is, is, the exercises we use for the flow of prana so and we work with our prana by working with our breath which and is that's life how force we that's how we channel the life force energy and that's prana in in some in sometimes it's chi you know whatever it is for you prana chi. is so primordial key. force yeah. yeah it's got many names but i but it's it's, it's important that people uh, embody this this idea that none of this is new no well, i was going to say what well, i love hearing those eight pillars is I, you might agree with this i don't know you see those eight pillars in a lot of cultures around the world yeah yeah that's, because that's know, where you've where i've pulled yeah. different things from exactly. like i feel like the and this is a tangent but the path that i'm on is i'm i've already run one training program with 20 people in australia and a couple of others from around the world mm-hmm. of how to work with these technologies in the work that you're already doing so yoga teachers, sound healers, um, coaches, just giving them the, the information, the breakdown of how to do it, doing it themselves, getting familiar with it. Because this is another thing that I watch closely is, as I just mentioned, they're all free and readily available. Now, the entire spiritual world right now is rampant with every man and his dog creating a $20,000 program teaching these technologies i'm so pleased you're going here and it's it's hard because off camera i was talking to jules about you know the the biggest challenge in my life right now is is maintaining the financial consistency of like i'm offering so much i'm impacting so many people i'm working with you know i don't know hundreds of men right now in um, one-on-one capacity group capacity retreats but like my foundations are shaky like my income is not as abundant as everybody thinks it is because a lot of people that are coming to me really need the support and the help but they can't yet pay the money that i'm worth i know what my worth is i know what my value is worth but um yeah alluding to that that thing is like this is all readily available anyone can go out and learn it and access it mm-hmm. i've just pieced it all together from like so breathwork for example at stanislav groff was like one of the people that created breathwork Absolutely. rebirthing breathwork and is deep transformational breathwork where you can have a breathwork experience that you know can be akin to ayahuasca ceremonies or mushroom journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so using that, using what the shamans use and building it all into this, this program. So the path that I feel I'm on or I know that I'm on is, is almost creating a school or a center similar to Eslin in the States, if you're familiar with Eslin, yeah. where people come and they learn this and you know have this Celestine prophecy vibe where like you know people are having conversation with trees and using learning to work with energy and and all of that but 
these things are like they're just there they're yeah. right there you can go on the internet and you can learn to do these yeah mm-hmm. but but it's one of the things i love about the way you're approaching it because you you are you are paying due deference yes to the shaman yes you're paying due deference to the traditions of all of this and and i uh, frankly you do deserve uh, to make the to, to make a, a decent living out of this but as you just um, as you just alluded, there are there are other people who are turning the wellness industry into a luxury product. Yes, that is to say that you can only aff- you can only heal if you can afford it. Yes, and we talk about this many times between us. There are in Portugal there are ayahuasca centers where you will pay eight thousand mm. dollars for for two nights of ayahuasca, and you and I and you we all know that that's not that's not the way it needs to be. But moreover, it's not the way it should be either right. because if we're going to premiumize healing. Yes. We're going, to ju- we're going to create, we're just going to continue to expand this ludicrous gap that we have yes. instead of actually coming closer together. I, I think, of course, you should be able to charge a couple of grand, whatever, three, four grand uh, for a retreat. Uh, and if people know what they're going to get and they, and they know full well by the end of that week they're going to come out absolutely transformed, then that is money well spent. Let's face it, people spend three, four grand on a lot of other futile things in comparison. And what price do you put yes. on life-changing events? Well, that's where I'd love to, and I've played with this in the past, I'd love to have it um, worked out to a point where it's like, what can you pay? Yeah. yeah. It's like, here's what it's yeah. worth. What can you pay? Yeah, and actually, if the, if some of the people can pay full whack, then they're actually going to subsidise you who can't. Afford mm-hmm. it and at and all. some of that kind of started coming in during mm. the pandemic, didn't it? That kind yeah. of sliding scale. We are. I was doing like a, so, just like a regular breathwork event, um, to our three-hour event, and I'd have three different prices. Yeah. I'd go this like you know, eighty-eight dollars, ninety-nine dollars, one twenty-two, and I'd say pay what you can. Mm. And some people were like perplexed. They yeah. Would, message me being like um i'm not i don't understand like wh- which ticket should i buy <laughs> like, which one feels yeah. right for you yeah. Like, yeah i'm actually handing the responsibility mm-hmm. yeah. to be a good person back yeah. to you here yeah that's kind of refreshing well it's 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 certainly an interesting time for us to be alive in in this space and mm-hmm. and watching the wellness industry evolve as it is but but i i think you're right to to highlight that that many folks are taking what's already there repackaging it to the point marketing and and exactly and putting a big glossy brand at the front we've had this conversation many times obviously as a yoga teacher you know i'm working with the majority of quite a lot of those pillars are coming into one class yes but somebody can take one of the pillars and they will charge five times what i get i'm allowed to charge as a yoga teacher but the end result I wouldn't say that the students are walking away with any more or any less, yes. but it's because of the way things have been labeled and repackaged. Suddenly you've got this huge divide in what you can charge and what you can receive. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're obviously in the thick of it here in, in Bali as well, where it's ultra competitive. Everybody's trying to live the laptop lifestyle and, you know, charge their big money, which they can, you know, but I love what Martin was saying. It's, I think we briefly had this conversation. But for me, what I'm currently looking at and, and exploring is this idea of I don't have to change the world. I don't have to change men all over the world and have these online programs because 
because I question, I really do question because I've seen people in this space of Zoom call coaching. I really question like how well do they actually know the person? How connected to that client are they? Because it seems very transactional. Mm. Seems very like jump on the call, do the call, off you go until I speak to you again. Mm-hmm. It's just replaced like going and having therapy. You sit in the chair, you talk about your problems for an hour, you go home. It's like how are you justifying the like $2,500 session or the, even the $1,000 session when that person already has this like answer within them and you're dangling a carrot? It's actually a thing we talk about with the shadow magician energy, which is archetypal, especially in the men's work of this this mentality of like for me i've got this eight pillar framework that i've been working on for three years and it's purely transformational and if you want to come and do it it's 10k but i'm not sharing anything about it with you because it's purely transformational and it's worth 10k (laughs) instead of being like here's what it is here's what it does here's where you can go and find it if you want to go and do it yourself go and have a look at stanislav groff go and connect with this person go and do that Mm -hmm. on the google all there but if you want to learn it from me and experience it through my lens of how it's changed my life and i'll help you plug into those technologies here's you know my program let's have a call if you want to talk about it yeah and there's Mm -hmm. there's there is significant worth in that because because you've Put yourself through the journey. And that was what my roommate said to me last night when I told him, like, this October, I've been invited to take a group back to Peru to work with the Quiero shamans that I was working with in February, which is a huge honor and, and blessing and gift. And for me, I was like, it's for me, if I go and do this and I don't make a dollar of profit, what I've received is like so much more and he said like bro like the fact that you've even like locked this in Mm. and you've gone and like paid the deposit and booked the venue and put all this together he's like that's like that's ballsy like you've that's huge like that you trust that much that Mm. that this and i said i just know like from a deeper place within me that this is what has to happen yeah and i'm just a, a bridge of people from the West to come and connect with these indigenous wisdom keepers who are then gonna go out into their communities and share this with their communities. But it's like, and it's the same with the shamans. It's like, this is the price, but what do you think? Yeah. And then we talk, it's like, look, to be honest, that's gonna be a stretch and it's gonna put me under pressure and straight away, okay, okay, let's do it for this. Like there's no attachment, Mm. which I am actually envious of. There's no charge when it comes to the money. And when I say charge, there's no energy in the nervous system about sure. like, like yeah. you know, this is that much. This is, It's just like, mm. oh, bro, like 500. Oh, I can only pay 300. No problem. Like it's yeah. just easy. It's the way it should be though. Mm-hmm. It is. Because we are like it or lump it. We're all in the business of healing. Yes. In our different ways. And... Um, I don't think we'd want to be doing anything else. No. So, <laughs> so, the, so there's that sort of fine line, isn't there? Yes, we all we want to. We need to get paid for what we're doing because otherwise we can't keep doing it. Yes. But at the same time, we will gladly suffer. And I use the word 
we don't actually suffer. But well, I see. Yeah, yeah, we do occasionally, I suppose. We all feel that pain of, uh, of being a bit short of money every once in a while. But we will continue to do but that. That's where the benefits are, in, are are incredible. Are huge. And that's where coming back to what I started with there, which was instead of trying to change the world or have this huge impact on tens of thousands of people and build a multi-million dollar business and blah, 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 blah. Why can't you just impact your community mm. wherever you are? So here it's, it's Uluwatu. I'm trying to reach all of Bali, but how can I just have an impact on the community here in Uluwatu mm-hmm. and support them to heal? Mm. And then the other thing that, that just come into my mind as you were speaking about um, serving and purpose was uh, Bob Knowles, who's like a, I don't know what you'd call him, a mystic or a you know, philosopher, talks about dharma and purpose, which is like a, a hot topic in the spiritual community. He's like, your dharma could be different to what you're doing as your work. So Absolutely. it could be that we're running these ceremonies and providing you know um safe spaces for people to come and heal and it's by donation mm-hmm. and then like my shamanic teacher in australia was running sweat lodges for years and he was a window cleaner yeah he made he made all his income through window cleaning and then there was no attachment to what that looked like in there's no stickiness with the money mm-hmm. and that's really what i have been working on recently is like what what am i going to do that i know is part of my path and that's going to help me pay the bills and and earn the money so that this stuff can be more passion more you know um community-centric reciprocity which is the retreats um and that's yeah it's a challenge and it's a work in progress of finding that balance you know i used to be a school teacher which i haven't mentioned so i mentioned teacher because i'm always teaching just changes how but i used to work with kids a lot Mm. and just in the last few weeks the idea of uh my friend starting a little international school here in uluwatu i you know finally thought about it again of like i would come in and and i'd do emotional intelligence and leadership and personal development stuff with the kids i'm like fuck that curriculum stuff because (laughs) i don't believe in it but um get them doing real life skills that's so funny. Were you were you with me the other day in the coffee shop where uh, where I met a lady called Erica? She came to meet. She came to to get one of my books. Oh, I saw you after the fact. I saw you after she'd come and seen well, she, you. Well, she was a, a nurse who had uh, who she was a cardiac nurse who checked out of the system because she she wanted to help people, but she didn't like the system in which she, she never was. slept. <laughs> and, then, and then I met another chap last week called Franz from Austria. He it also Austrian. yeah Franz, <laughs> uh, lovely guy, big heart, and he also wanted to to buy a book, so he met me and I bought him a coffee. Actually, he bought me a coffee. Thanks, Franz. Was a teacher uh-huh. for three years. Bless him. Wanted wanted to teach, wanted to help, but exactly what you just said, could not get on with the framework. Couldn't get on with the industrialized, archaic, yeah. rigid mm. system. Yeah. Archaic is right. Yeah. Draconian, uh, draconian is draconian. probably more appropriate. It's preparing factory workers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're obviously not alone. There are but, quite a few people in your position. But speaking about those two, just brings to mind like this work that I'm doing in the, let's call it healing or spiritual space began as I transitioned out of teaching and I started working just with school teachers, teaching them techniques to avoid burning out and mental illness because that's what I'd been through. The first four retreats I ran over here in Bali was all school teachers from Australia that flew over 
for a week. They did all the holistic stuff and then we did development around how to be a better teacher for the children. That was the first start of that journey. The business was actually called Smile Teachers. And then also within that business, I was getting paid to go to schools and then go into the classroom and run like a Mr. Wiggle, like, you know, fun, playful, energetic workshop with the kids, teaching them breathing techniques, teaching them mindfulness. Um, I've got a children's book that's actually publishing um, soon that teaches kids how to do the breathing techniques. Very cool. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's like subliminal programming. So it's it's filling their head full of the good stuff so that they learn how to breathe. But the reason I shared that was because I met a guy um, over here maybe 2019 um, when I was really sort of still coming out of that big dark night of the soul um, journey. And he was traveling the world with his book that was a mindfulness program for busy people, teaching them how to manage, you know, burnout and stress and anxiety because he was a clinical doctor that had gone through it. And so he gave me a signed copy of his program and basically said, take this, do whatever you want with it. Like, so I then started building my program for teachers and then I've added to it, you know, it started with breath work and mindset and then the shamanisms come in the dance and the embodiment and it's just all become this this program and as i'm sitting here talking to you i'm thinking like the number of corporate and entrepreneurial people that have already reached out but i don't actually have a packaged product to to go to them and say here's what i could offer mm. i met a guy in the surf in bali last year who paid me 25k up front to fly to melbourne australia and teach breathwork to his staff <laughs> Just, nice. by, just, by, <laughs> just by like not even thinking and just getting out of my own way Amazing. and so that that for me is still very much fresh in my mind i'm like how did that happen yeah. <laughs> like, i just was surfing like just surf more with surf, business cards yeah, exactly. <laughs> i was just surfing every day eating well training in the gym yeah. i wasn't doing much work no. at all but you were aligned i was aligned interesting so, so, you, so you do need to just laminate some business cards take them out exactly on the, on the surfboard and you'll be laughing but that's why now like at this point in my life i know how important the men's work is for the community and for supporting more men and i've got a good group of leaders that are now starting to step up you know alongside me so nurturing them training them because i know how important that work is but I know my deeper purpose and my deeper calling is to keep integrating this shamanic work and sharing this with with people through retreats, through trainings, through, you know, bring the, the Kiero shamans, one of them in particular, he wants to come, he wants to come to Australia, he wants to come over here, he wants to share his medicine, work with people. And it's like, you know, that could be such a good opportunity and gift for me to be able to do that as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding this this balance between you know, what is right now and what's still building and evolving. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So you mentioned you'd been away. Huh? Should we dive into that a little bit? Away. <laughs> what, what were you doing? Just recently. Yeah. You were, yeah. so actually you reached out to me when you were still in Peru, so weren't in you? Or, no, you were in North America. Okay. So I, 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 I. Um, November 2022, I was sorry over to here. Sorry to interrupt. Go for it. You're going to eat that cookie because it's no, been sitting there for ages. Yours. Good luck. Like it. Isn't it? Cookie is all yours. Carry yeah, on. So, uh, 
I'll just give you the full spectrum. So June 1st, 2022, first day of winter in Australia, I got hit with COVID finally. Um, and I'm not sure the listeners and yourselves what COVID was like for you, if you've had COVID or not had COVID, but it just felt like a full attack on my nervous system. I didn't have a flu per se. I just went into the dark night of the soul in a matter of hours. Um, that was really the beginning of this, I feel, 12-month initiation that was coming in hot. It was like, all right, this one's a big one and, you know, it's time to go. It's time to grow. It's time to learn. You can't, you know, keep avoiding and escaping. And, um, yeah, within that week, my, again, beautiful best friend, still love her, still very close with her, um, decided that that relationship was going to close, um, not imminently, but like she'd alluded to in the next month or two, we're going to close this relationship and go our separate ways as friends. That then just triggered this huge wave of abandonment again that I thought had cleared and I thought I'd done enough healing on my little boy and my masculine and I was in a really good place. Felt February 2022 was strong, top of the mountain, indestructible. So yeah, mid-year last year, went into a period of deep healing and reflection again. Um, there were some beautiful things that happened there. I had a very vulnerable and deep conversation with my mother about why all of this stuff kept being revisited. She couldn't quite understand, you know, but Sean, you, it just doesn't seem like you're, you're okay. Like, you know, this, I don't want this to keep happening. And I'm like, mum, I know this is all happening for a reason. Okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to get through it. Right now, I just need time to heal, time to focus on myself. Can't even think about the business. Um, they actually helped me financially at that point to just pep me up and, and get me going. And then, yeah, I came over to Bali. Um, I seem to do a lot of healing when I'm in Bali, especially since this beautiful rock in the middle of the ocean is the purification point of the planet, they call it. So yeah, came over here and um, did a lot of cleaning, a lot of clearing, a lot of time alone. Uh, and then the 25K came in the surf and that sort of took a lot of financial weight off my shoulders. Um, and I thought, okay, I've, I'm, I'm in a good position here. I've got you know, money in the bank. I've got breathing room and take my time. And then it was in those moments that this big opportunity to go to North America came up, which is with the Sacred Sons who... I would say are the leaders on the planet in terms of men's work and community for men, brotherhood, healing as men, as a collective group. And like for me, that was like Christmas because I'd been connected with another brother from Australia who's huge on social media. Um, and he'd said, you guys need to talk because the Sacred Sons have been exploring bringing it down under to Australia. Um, so that was huge for me. But then the price was like a lot. Like it was, it cost me probably close to 10,000 US to go and do that, mm -hmm. flights and everything. Um, but I just knew I had to do it. There was no if or what or anything about it. it was it's like, happening. This is happening and I'll sell my car or a kidney if I have to. <laughs> and so I booked it in. I had the payment plan, which was helpful. Um, and then the idea just came to me again. It's like I was feeling called to go back to Peru. Like if I'm going to that side of the world, I feel it's time to go back to Peru. And I didn't have a real plan. Um, I'm not going to go into the full logistics of it, but as my one of my teachers in Peru says, he's like, when you come to Peru, 
the doors will open for you. And so I just went there with no plan. I knew that I was going to work with medicine and um, I didn't know whether it was going to be ayahuasca, mushrooms, the cactus, whatever. I didn't know. And I flew into Cusco um, after a period of time in New Zealand and then got to Cusco and it was, it was in disarray. There was riots, there was protests, there was gunshots on my street. It was wild. Mm. Everyone in Australia was like, you're crazy. Like, well, are you okay? Are you safe? They'd just taken over the airport. The airport was shut down. Civil unrest and a Civil half. Civil unrest due to corruption and corrupt government. But um, I was stuck in the apartment for three days and yeah, I received an opportunity. It was like from a lady in Australia, she said, I've got a retreat starting on Sunday. I just saw you're in Cusco. Do you want to come and join me? I've just had a lady pull out. There's one place available. And this was? This was? Ayahuasca. This was mainly working with the grandfather, Wachuma. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end of the week, an ayahuasca ceremony um, to close it out. Uh, but it was, it was profound. Like I sat with the idea for a day and just felt into it and was like, yes, I'm in. But it was 10 days. There was uh, despacho ceremonies most days, uh, sweat, Chulachaka or Andean sweat lodge on the even days and then Wachuma journeys on the odd days. So it was just constant mm. layers, shedding, sweat lodge, Wachuma, sweat lodge, Wachuma, sweat lodge, Wachuma. And then, yeah, Wachuma. And the last day, sweat lodge in the morning, ayahuasca ceremony in the evening. And it was everything. Mm. Like, uh, yeah. I've got my Bible at home, which is my journal from that whole experience. And I'm constantly reading back through it. I'm still very much integrating. There's still pieces that are landing. Um, and then post retreat, I was then invited by two of the brothers, two of the Kiero shamans that like quite literally, I'd been reading this book for years, maybe four or five times. It's called The Heart of the Shaman by Alberto Violdo. And I'd read this book over and over and over. It just resonates with my soul. Pretty basic book, like to be honest. When I actually flick through it, I'm like, it's just like anyone, <laughs> anyone could write it. Yeah. Um, but reading about this particular group of shamans um, and specific names of shamans that have left this lifetime and, and whatever in this book, and then I get to this retreat and we're in ceremony and they're talking and explaining in, in Spanish and my Spanish is like, bear, hablam, and poco espanol, like very little bit of Spanish. And I'm hearing names and I'm hearing, and it's like clicking and I've got the book with me and I'm flicking through and I'm like, what the fuck? Like this particular family was the family that the book was about. The shaman legends. The shaman legends that had gone way up into the mountains when the conquistadors invaded and started decimating the Incan Empire. They went 6,000, 7,000 meters up into the mountains. And it's only been in the last decade or so that they've started coming down and integrating into the Cusco community. And mm. then now they're exploring, like going out globally and starting to share mm. the wisdom that there's so much we could talk about. But my interpretation and my understanding is like they're the portal or the gatekeepers to the cosmos. Yeah. And the work that they're doing with the medicine up there is like, bringing in information or codes or um you know whatever light from up above and they're grounding it into pachamama mm. and that that up there in the mountains it's like that's the new earth if you ask me like, yeah you go up there and you see it you feel it it's like she's breathing 
she's birthing and mountains you know just constantly growing up and up and up and up mm. and where they're farming now you can see they're testing the next little you know climate and then the next little climate yeah they're just moving further and further away from you know what we might call the, the poop down the bottom you yeah know. Real, real life so real called real life. life and so that that whole journey was you know uh, six weeks in peru i did the medicine retreat then i was doing personal ceremonies with them in their own locations and um that was all to heal the masculine mm. for me that whole journey was to go and heal the masculine in my life in my community my lineage um and you know it, it was a lot the day before i flew to peru my dad's only brother was killed on his motorcycle and him and my dad and his brother like they had had it tougher than most people I know as little boys, their mother left them when they were toddlers and just abandoned them. Um, their dad was an alcoholic who was never home. And so feeling my father's pain, feeling my father's grief, feeling all of that, and then still choosing and knowing that I had to go and do this and communicating to him like, dad, if you need me to be there, I'll fly home immediately, but I need to go and do this. He's like, no, I love you and I trust that you're on your path and you're doing what you need to do but those ceremonies and medicine journeys it was just like pulling these huge pieces out of my heart that i had been carrying my whole life one in particular that was like a spear in the back of my heart that i've had this pain for years and the right side on the back of my back and um yeah it was like energetically during a sweat lodge the shaman just pulled this big spear out of my back and I've had no pain, no shoulder discomfort. Ooh, I love those stories. Ever. And it feels to me like it was actually like a past life situation. An actual spear. An, an actual, actual spear. spear where somebody had betrayed me or backstabbed mm. me. Yeah. And nothing had really integrated yet other than my awareness. And then yesterday, one of the Sacred Sun's leaders on a call mentioned, he's like, many of you are carrying the betrayal of the brotherhood wound. And I was like, oh that resonates and it was a lot of priests high priests shamans medicine men that were killed mm. that were for, for, for being magical and using your yeah. eight pillars yeah yeah you were then burned at the stake captured shot mm. wounded and many of us are still carrying that from past lives well, of course, the same thing happened to the with feminine. The, with the witches, yeah, yeah. but we hear so much more about it with the exactly. feminine than we do with the masculine. I'd never heard them. it. I've never heard that come up. No, mm. I mean, I, when I went to Peru and walked the uh, Inca Trail with a, a wonderful shaman brother called Stefano, um, he gave me so much information about, about the past uh, and what had happened. And of course... You know, I, I don't think I don't think we we take this on board. Most of us, you know, sitting in that curriculum through that history lesson, and we hear about the conquistadors, and we hear about the missionaries. You know, this uh, this this spread of Christianity around the um, the so-called undeveloped, savaged, uh, or you know, the savage world filled with savages, and actually it was it was criminal. Mm. It was absolute. It was genocide. 
But we it, don't learn about it like that, do we? No, we don't. Like the, we, don't. We, we learn about this, some sort of glorified version of it. The same in these, Australia. These, um, these travellers who, uh, who were brave enough to go across the planet and, you know, in their and ships. And rediscover new land. Yeah. Like if you go online... Rediscover, in, uh, that's right. That's a, that's a great word, isn't it? If you go online in Australia and try to look up and research information on the stolen generation and when the white settlers invaded, what happened to the Aboriginals... Um, and the reason I learned a lot of this was because during COVID, living uh, in a small region in Western Australia and, and actually talking to the Aboriginal elders and the families and having them come to the retreats and facilitate was like, so say for example, on the uh, Australian government you know, information, it'll say um, there was a, an altercation between this white family and the local Aboriginals living next door and two Aboriginal men were shot. And you talk to the Aboriginals and it's like 150 were massacred. Like yeah. just stuff like that where the, the, the population or the tribe in that area was pretty much decimated overnight uh-huh. yeah. except for like a handful yeah. that managed to escape. Yeah. And so we've got this huge cover up and, and, you know. The world over. The world over. And so the same with the conquistadors in Peru, the, yeah. the Native American Indians, you know, it's yeah. happened everywhere. The Mayans, is, it's all, it's the same story, isn't it? And of course, well... In this particular story, it was the Roman Catholic Church. From what I actually believe and what I saw and what I got to experience with the medicine is they're, they're still right here with us and they're coming very quickly back. Like they're just emerging. They potentially used their magic powers, used their shamanic powers to mm. disappear into mm. another realm or dimension. And, you know, working with the, the shaman of Machu Picchu while I was there, some of the stories that he tells of things happening around Machu Picchu as he was initiated into becoming the caretaker of Machu Picchu. Just, you know, hard for a lot of people to mind blowing comprehend. But, you know, if you have a fully open mind, like what he tells you, it's like, whoa, like mm. there's a there's a big reason why Machu Picchu has just recently been closed for quite some time due to the protests. But they've been working extensively energetically on Machu Picchu to activate it. Mm. because Machu Picchu is a massive activation point for planet Earth mm-hmm. and then Uluru is the other one. And so in, I'm going very wide here, very up. But <laughs> 2020, I think it was the 20th of December 2020, there was the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction, whatever relevance that has. But in Australia on that date, they had a huge like events and festivals all over where the intention was... Um, the Aboriginal men, the elders, were going to Uluru into the sacred site. Only men are allowed to go there because it's a masculine site to do this ceremony to activate what they say is this crystal bed that's under Uluru as rock. And there was these events all over Australia, people sitting and gathering and meditating and sending their intention towards as rock because they needed a specific number of people to make it happen. And that was the first, like, activation and the second one is Machu Picchu and so it's like a masculine and feminine thing and it's like the two two points of polarity and so I, they don't tell you I don't know what your experience is with the shamans but I'm asking them like why is it closed like what do you think the reason is why is there all these protests I yeah. don't think it's because they're the government like what's going on here uh-huh. and they're like yeah it's we're just working on yeah we're just powering up yeah. ma- <laughs> I love that. getting ready for the, 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 our re-entry or our entry into new yeah. earth 
Yeah. Or a real like, I want to go back to Peru. Well, we are, we're gonna we've been talking about going with you, haven't we? So or being being teed That's my up. weekend task is to get that retreat mm. live. Mm. Yeah, and you're gonna introduce me to uh, to someone who's gonna introduce us to a very ninety-seven year old old medicine woman. woman. Yeah, medicine woman, because I really. Maria. I really want to start vibing with some yeah. female shaman. That, that tall, and I'm sitting in a chair. Yeah, <laughs> and you are very tall. Yeah. So before we wrap up then, what's next? I'm flying to Australia. I don't know when the podcast will be released, but in two weeks, 20th of April. And we have a men's retreat down on country in the middle of the bush in Australia. Probably 30 men, maybe more, um, going through this framework and process and you know deep work with the men the masculine and helping them become men and releasing a lot of that little boy stuff um then i'll be back in bali probably until uh september um and once i'm back i'll be running breathwork events static dance you know men's circle that i do here in uluwatu uh and then yeah back to peru probably around september i'll do a month of my own work with the shaman so my own training and learning and then in october we'll have the retreat up in the andes um we're only at this stage we're only drinking with chuma on that retreat which is san pedro cactus for those that aren't familiar beautiful heart medicine beautiful father energy which is really my favorite important yeah and that's you know for me that's why i'd love to just take more men to do that because it, it really is the father energy and that's mm. that's really in men's work the thing that's missing it's teaching men what is that father energy that grandfather energy like how would you treat somebody if you were the grandfather like the old wise grandfather it's almost like you've got this beautiful feminine energy but you'd also like quickly whip somebody into line if they needed to be with love mm. um and that's what the cactus has really mm. taught me mm -hmm. um and just also how to be a a caretaker for this beautiful Pachamama that we get to live in, on, as a part of. Beautiful. And how can people find you? Uh, so my Instagram, Sean K1, S-H-A-U-N, K-A-Y, one. Uh, our website is pacha.cc, so P-A-C-H dot C-C. That's where you can find out all about the retreats and the work that I'm doing with this growing community other than that just say hi to me if you see me in the street um i'd love to have a chat anytime you can usually um, see him at bgs so BGS i tend to bump into him at bgs if i don't feel like talking to too many people i go to ungasan yeah, yeah that's, um, that's the way and I'll yeah bump so into that's there. that's me and thanks jules and martin for having me we finally made it happen yeah had some uh astrological glitches <laughs> that's an understatement now we're trying to do it the day after the full moon and oh yeah it's on yeah it's... i need to look more at my calendar when i make these appointments yeah we do because we just have keep having these bizarre little technological glitches which uh, as you've seen when you've got all this gear can cause havoc a lot of gear thanks thanks jules for arranging it because no worries this was like the third one wasn't it i think yeah. third time we'd maybe maybe second <laughs> maybe third time lucky second time lucky well, thank you, brother. Really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, Sean, thank you so you much. Much thank love. Thank you. Adi. Mm. Cut. <laughs>